Uh, you have your Bible, turn to the book of Psalms one more time and find specifically Psalm 24. That's where we're going to begin. We won't, we're just gonna, this is going to be just a jumping off place. For, we're going to look at a lot of different scriptures tonight. And just FYI, um, there'll be some things on the screen. A lot of things will be on the screen, but we're going to turn, physically turn to a lot of different passages too tonight, more than we normally do, so get ready for that. This... This week we're coming to the end of our study in the Psalms. Um, there is certainly so much in these last few weeks in this series that, have, that we've had to leave unsaid. Just because Psalm, the book of Psalms is just so big. I mean, 150 of them. And there's such variety. I mean like Moses wrote one and David wrote one and and we don't know who wrote half of them. And, you know, it's just crazy. And there's such depth in it and complexity in the book. And there's only so much time we could give to it. So to try to make the biggest dent in the shortest amount of time possible, we've tried to consider the major categories of the Psalms, you know, if you've been here, that most of these Psalms fit into. Um, there are some little ancillary categories that we didn't cover, but we, got, we hit the big ones. And so hopefully we've, we've not only covered a lot of the Psalms in doing so, but at least hopefully maybe given you the, um, the, the, the tools, the, the guidelines, the expectations that, that when you go and you read them on your own, you kind of know the lay of the land and you know how to, know how to think through some of these Psalms, know, know how to recognize um, what kind of Psalm you're, you're in. But um, on that note, I, I want to kind of end just by reminding you of something that we started with, and that is that is that this, if Scripture teaches us anything, it teaches us that, that God has given us these psalms to be the voice of our prayer life. Uh, we talked about this adventure, talked about it at the very beginning of this series. Um, it, he, he intends it to be the, the, the voice of our prayer life. And I know that sounds a little funny, but just realize how gracious that is of God to give us this enormous book enormous book with such depth such complexity like i've been talking about and intend that to to give words to our prayers back to him and and that the words that actually do express the deepest cry and most genuine affections and, and emotions of our heart whether it whether it's lament and sorrow and sadness mourning confusion or thanksgiving praise just remembrance of the goodness of god or um con confidence we have in him or that we need wisdom from him all in this one book all, all here and there are also no matter what what psalm you turn to and 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 voice as a prayer these are whatever you're voicing is also the very written expression of his own will so whatever we pray we're praying according to his will beautiful and we've seen that exemplified in both the Old Testament and New Testament. We saw it exemplified in Hannah, Samuel's mother Hannah, praying in 1 Samuel 2. It, it echoes very much Psalm 113. And Jesus, in the, in the last agonizing moment of his life, when he's too weak to even carry the cross beam of his own cross, and he's lost so much blood and so, um, so much flesh, to be honest, that uh he probably his his it, it's just unimaginably 
agonizing, that moment, and, and shame-filled moment. Uh, at least in the eyes of the world, he would have been completely naked before the eyes of the world, bear, just bearing that awful torture. And you know his mind was muddled in all that, as yours would be, as mine would be. But in that moment, the Spirit came to his help with the psalms that were in his bones. And he's praying Psalm 31. He's praying Psalm 22. And fulfilling them at the same time. Just because they were so deeply ingrained in his soul. Well, it's apropos to be thinking again about the importance of the psalms in Jesus' life when we come to this last category of psalms. Because it is the, the, the category we're thinking about tonight is the easiest, in my mind, it's the easiest and clearest category of all the psalms that point us forward to the coming Christ. Uh, and I'm talking about kingship psalms, psalms of kingship, and its close cousin, royal psalms. Those may sound like synonyms, but they're not. They're actually two technically different kinds of psalms. Psalms of kingship and very closely related royal psalms. And I want us to think for a few minutes about these two categories, what they are, um, how they how they point forward to and are fulfilled by Christ in the New Testament. And then not just seeing that, because that's cool to see, but what good does it do you if you just see it? Like Jesus, I mean, the Pharisees saw a lot in Scripture. Jesus said, you search the Scriptures uh, and think that in that you find life, but it's they that are pointing forward to me. Do I want us to see it? Yeah, but then how does that help us now? Like, what does that have to do with me on a Tuesday, right? Uh, how, how is it applicable to me on a daily basis? So as a jumping off place, we're going to look at, like I said, several different psalms, but I want us to start here, Psalm 24, because it is a kingship psalm. Uh, we're not going to spend a great deal of time on it, but I thought we'd at least read it together, and it's just a great psalm. I love it. So if you've found Psalm 24, uh, follow along as I, as I read. Psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart and who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Let's pray. Lord, this is a beautiful psalm. And I feel impressed to say, even right now, and maybe by the end of the time together, we will all understand why better if we don't already. But some of us in this room may read, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, 
who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. And we read that and say, that is not me. I don't have clean hands. I don't have a pure heart. I have deceit in my heart. How am I to ascend the hill of the Lord? How am I to receive blessing from your hand? I pray that we would all be reminded that it is Jesus Christ who ascends the hill of the Lord. He is the King of glory. And he has ascended. He has no deceit in his heart. And he has a pure heart. He has gone in our place. And through him by faith we go to. What we've just read, Lord, is your holy, inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. All the scriptures we're going to read are that. And therefore, um, we have every reason to have confidence in what we're going to think about tonight. So give us minds to, give us eyes to see the truth clearly. Give us minds to understand it, hearts to embrace and love it, wills to obey. Whatever it is you lead us to do, give me the help that I need to teach and teach clearly and with the passion that your word deserves and you deserve. And give us all ears to hear, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so there's a, there's a bit of ground to cover when we think about psalms of kingship and royal psalms. Um, it's, a, it's a hearty um, topic. But I want to think about the, these categories of psalms under uh, two main points, just two main points. First, I want to think about the difference between kingship and royal psalms. I've, I've kind of already said they're not the same. Well, how are they different? What's different about them? Because there is a critical difference that then comes together in Christ. And then we'll see, uh, as we consider the, the second point, we'll understand it better when we get there. Who is the human king? <laughs> may not make sense to you right now. You'll understand what I mean by that when we get there. So those two points... That being said, let's dive into it and think first about the distinction between the kingship and the royal psalms. Big difference between the two, they're not strictly uh, synonyms. Uh, so what is the difference? When we're talking about kingship psalms, psalms of kingship, we'll start there. We're talking about those psalms that are highly um, exalting and extolling God, the Lord God, over all that He's made. Um, he is the ruler. God, God Yahweh is the ruler and king, sovereign over all that he's made, over all that exists. He's the Lord and king. That's, that, and, and, I mean, just look down at the, at the latter half of Psalm 24, right? Uh, just lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. The king of, who is the king of glory? The Lord. And see this in small caps right there? Lord, anytime you see Lord in the Old Testament, it's in small caps. It's the Hebrew word behind it is the covenant name of God, not a generic name for God. His name, the name that he revealed himself by, with the, to Moses in the burning bush. Covenant Lord, strong and mighty. Covenant Lord, mighty in battle. I mean, just king of glory, O gates, O ancient doors to the realm of his glory. And how is he described in verses 1 and 2? The earth is the Lord's. It belongs to him. The world and those who dwell therein. So he's the, as he's the creator of all that is. Therefore, king and Lord over all these made. That's in, in Psalm 24. But besides this one, there are three classic kingship psalms. Um, and, and we've already read one of them to begin with. They are Psalm 93, 
Psalm 97 and Psalm 99. 93, 97, and 99. Those are classic royal psalms. They all begin the same way. So just to remind you again how Psalm 93 began. The Lord reigns. See, and, and, and it's not on the screen there, but it, it, in the text it's that um, covenant name. The Lord reigns. He's robed in majesty. He's robed. And then um, uh, Psalm 97 begins, The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. And then Psalm, Psalm 99 begins, The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherub and let the earth quake. So they all begin with this acclamation. The Lord reigns. He's king. Right? And they often, the kingship psalms often base God's kingship on the fact that he created all that is. And on that basis, that he is eternal God and he is the creating source of anything that exists, including everything in our world, therefore he is king. So Psalm 97, 9 says, For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted above all gods because he brought them into being. Psalm 29 is another example of this. Turn over to Psalm 29 in your Bible. Psalm 29. Exalting, exalting the Lord God as king over all that is because he is the creator and sustainer of all that is. So Psalm 29, and, and I just want to read it, right? It's not very long. It's a Psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Might be referring to angels in that case. O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in splendor and holiness, of the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like. Uh, a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The, sh- the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. He strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, Glory! The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. And you see in that psalm right there that not only do the kingship psalms extol big cosmic things like, oh, you heavenly beings, right? That, that's, that's big cosmic stuff. But just as, as he is sovereign, and according to that psalm, just as he is sovereign over heavenly beings and over all cosmic things that are in existence, he is just as sovereign over the deer's giving birth, right? The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. And in the same way, he's, he's not just king over the sun, moon, and stars and all the heavenly beings and even the deer giving birth, but he's sovereign over all human affairs. Uh, Psalm 47 is an example of this one, where in verse 2 it says, For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared. He's a great king above all the earth. Specifically, verse 8, he reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Those are kingship psalms, right? Extolling 
the Lord, our triune God, as king over all creation. And indeed, anything in, 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 that's in existence in the whole cosmos, that he called into being, those are kingship psalms. The Lord reigns over all that is. He made it. He sustains it. He rules over it. Psalm 115, 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Kingship psalms. But then you have a slightly different category called royal psalms. And there's almost a dozen of these in the Psalter. And the difference between these king, and, and the kingship psalms that we just thought about is that the, the royal psalms are typically referring to a human king. right? Not God in the heavens, but a human king, specifically the Davidic king over Israel. Okay, It's going to come together in a minute. So think, for example, we see this, this division between kingship and royal, between divine king and a human king. We see this clearly in Psalm 2. Psalm 2, which is one of the... Psalm 2 is one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament. And in that one psalm, in Psalm 2, you have the divine king, God in heaven, mentioned in verses 3 and 4, um, where he talks about why do the nations rage, and they say, let us, the nations say, let us burst their bonds apart, cast away the court. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. So there you have the divine king sitting in the heavens, laughing at the nations who try to rise up against him. So there's the divine king, but notice down in verse 6 where that divine king, God says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill, Zion being Jerusalem. So he's saying, as for me, I have established a kingship through David, and I've set my king my human king there, right? It's a human king. I mean, he's a human king whose throne God is the one who established. And this is, Psalm 2 is an enthronement psalm as well as Psalm 72. And all through the Psalter, you have different psalms about this human king. You have like 2 and 72 are about the human kings being enthroned. Like Psalm 2 would have been said or sung Psalm 72 would have been said or sung any time a new Davidic king would have ascended to the throne. One dies, his son is raised up. Psalm 2 would have been his enthronement psalm, right? You have psalms in the Psalter that are like praying for divine help for this Davidic king in battle. Let me show you an example of that. Turn over to Psalm 20. Psalm 20. Psalm 20 and 21 are both these kinds of psalms, asking the Lord for help for the Davidic king. But look at Psalm, we'll just read Psalm 20. It's also a psalm of David. David writes, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary." And give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt, offering, your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we, may we shout for joy over your salvation. In the name of our God, 
uh, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves His anointed. He will answer him from His holy heaven with the saving might of His hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. So who is this you that we read about in the, throughout this psalm? May the Lord answer you. May he send you help and give you support. May he grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. Who is the you? It's answered twice in this psalm. It's answered first in verse 6. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. Who's the anointed? the Davidic king, and it's spelled out at the very last verse, O Lord, save the king. So there you have it again. You have a distinction between the divine king and the human king. And that's the distinction between kingship psalms, royal psalms. Kingship psalms exalt God, our triune God, over the, as, as king over all that he's made. But the royal psalms are... are, are, are exalting this Davidic king that the Lord God established in Israel. But if that's where we stopped, we've missed the whole point. Or we've stopped halfway there. We need to dig a little bit deeper into the scriptures about who this human king is. Right? Because, I mean, I've already said that in the, in the first point, this, uh, uh, one thing we know about this human king is the Davidic king in Israel. I mean, David himself wrote many of the royal psalms. And, uh, and David was the one God himself made a covenant with about his throne. Uh, you can turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, and you can read about this covenant that God made with David. Right? Psalm, uh, excuse me, 2 Samuel 7. I'm just going to read verses 11 to 16. Uh, God, God tells David in the middle of that verse, 2 Samuel 7, in the middle of verse 11, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he, when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Stop right there. That's an interesting passage because uh, it seems to be talking about more than just David. Uh, well, it seems to be talking about, first of all, it seems to be talking about David and his immediate offspring. I mean, when it says, um, the one who comes from you, he shall build a house for my name, that's talking about Solomon. Solomon built the temple, right? When, it's, when it says there, it's kind of shocking when you first read it, 
But in verse 14, when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men. That's practically all the descendants. They're ungodly people, a lot of them. But then, but then you look more carefully at what we just read, and it, it can't be just about David and his immediate offspring, Solomon, and all the ones that followed them in the Davidic line. It can't be just about them because there's a clear promise repeated several times about one descendant, one offspring, whose throne would be established how long? Forever. And his kingdom would be forever. So even built into the very covenant that God made with David himself and, and with his descendants, about whom many of these royal psalms would have immediately applied, is the expectation of a greater one coming. A greater descendant, a greater king is coming. Greater than all that came before. And in some of the royal psalms, you can tell they knew that. Even, the, even the, psal, the psalmist who wrote the royal psalms. We're going to look at one that Solomon wrote. They seem to know that they weren't it. That there's a greater one coming. Let me just show you. Look, for example, go back to the book of Psalms and find Psalm 72. I've already mentioned Psalm 72 in passing. We didn't really look at it. So Psalm 72. And again, when you get there, notice who wrote Psalm 72. Solomon. This is David's son. Right? King in Israel. He is the king. In fact, he is the wisest king they ever had. And in fact, Solomon's, the breadth of Solomon's kingdom was greater than his father's. Right? He is, he's got it going on as the king. But, and he writes this psalm. And it's a prayer for himself, and it's a prayer for the later Davidic kings after him, uh, for, for wisdom and for justice. But notice some of the descriptions of the Davidic king in this psalm that Solomon wrote. Look particularly at verses 8 through 11. Solomon says about future Davidic kings, about one of them in particular, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastland, of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. I mean, it certainly seems like even the Davidic kings themselves, certainly at least Solomon, knew and were looking forward to a greater king coming. Because as as broad as Solomon's kingdom was, he had 700 wives, right? He made treaties with that many people and said, you do this for me, I'll marry your daughter. He had a huge kingdom, but he was a long way from all nations bowing down to the feet of Solomon. Long way from that. So this, this description doesn't fit Solomon, David, or any of the other Davidic kings. And eventually that kingship, that dynasty, came to an end when Judah was carried off by Babylon. So they knew, the, the Davidic kings themselves knew, we're in a blessed line. God has made a covenant with us, but there's one greater than us coming. 
and they knew it. It's written in the very Psalms. They're, they knew that there's, the, there's one coming whose throne is going to be forever and ever. And the, not only did the Davidic kings know, the prophets knew this. Let me give you one example. So we're here in Psalm 72. I want you to look right here at verse 8 again. Right? Verse, verse 8 says, Of this coming Davidic king, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, um, just sear that language into your brain for a second. Dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Reread it again if, if you need to, to get it firmly in your mind. Now, Solomon said this, may, may this king have dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. With, with that in your mind now, um, look at this prophecy from Zechariah. Zechariah lived much later. He lived at a time where there was no Davidic king on the throne. There was no king. They were in exile. And Zechariah says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. All right. And you can see that the prophet Zechariah was reading what Solomon was writing in Psalm 72. And he quoted the words exactly. His rule shall be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. That is Psalm 72, 8. Zechariah the prophet was reading Psalm 72, and he, he was reading in Psalm 72 about this, about this king that God had promised to come, whose rule and his dominion would be from sea to sea, and to the ends of the earth. And he's looking and says, there is no king on the throne in, in Zechariah's lifetime. Who is it talking about? It must be talking about somebody who is still to come. And does the rest of that prophecy sound any, any way familiar? In the New Testament, it is fulfilled by Jesus himself in John 12 at the triumphal entry. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey as they wave palm branches in praise. And they say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even what? even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Where? Zechariah 9. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So, Zechariah, so Solomon, writes, Solomon writes about a king who's going to rule from sea to sea. He knows it's not him, Right? It must be somebody coming later. Go a few hundred years later and the prophet Zechariah says, we don't even have a king on a throne. What was Solomon talking about in Psalm 72? It must be somebody coming in the future. Jesus comes and he says, it's me. And the whole crowd says, Hosanna, even the king of Israel. Right? So not only do the psalmist see a greater king coming and not only do the prophets see a greater king coming, a greater royal uh, Davidic king. 
Jesus himself confirms it. And the rest of the New Testament makes it even clearer. How does Jesus confirm that he is the greater king that the royal Psalms were pointing forward to? Let me t- I'm going to ask you to turn one more place. Matthew 22. Matthew 22. And when you get there, find verse 41. In this neighborhood of Matthew, the Pharisees again and again had been trying to trap Jesus in his words, trying to cause trouble for him. And so in this passage, in Psalm 22, he begins to question them. Jesus begins to question the Pharisees. And what he uses as the basis for his questions is one of the most famous royal psalms in the Psalter, Psalm 110. If anything is quoted more than Psalm 2, it's Psalm 110. Read the book of Hebrews, it's based, the whole book's basically based on Psalm 110. And read this passage beginning in verse 41. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, Well, the son of David. And he said to them, How is it then that David, in the Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, and he quotes Psalm 110.1, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone care dare to ask him any more questions. So when he said, whose son is he? David's son. Yeah, you're right. The Messiah is going to be a descendant of David. But not merely one. Not merely one. Because even David knew in Psalm 110 that this descendant of his is also his Lord. It's why in the book of Revelation, Jesus is called the root and the offspring of David. He is the offspring after him, also the root before him. He is the descendant, but he is also Lord. And the rest of the New Testament makes this abundantly clear. Jesus is not only that human king descended from David and inheriting David's throne forever. He's that one it was always pointing forward to since 2 Samuel 7. But from that throne, Jesus fulfills both functions of the divine king and the kingship. Psalms. You remember when we're talking about the kingship Psalms, it talks about how God is king and Lord over all that is, and He displays that that sovereignty, God does, over all things cosmically and over human affairs. So does Jesus, right? Jesus rules over all the created order. He speaks to wind. He speaks to to waves and he says, be still and they obey. And interestingly, in Luke 8, in in Luke's account of Jesus stilling the storm, and and it says he rebuked the wind. He rebuked the waves and they obeyed. that, That word rebuked is the same word in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Psalm 104 of God at creation rebuking uh, the wind and the waves in creation. 
So Jesus is doing what God does in Psalm 104. It's a kingship psalm. Jesus rules over all cosmos. He's casting out demons. But Jesus also rules the nations. He says, I will build my church. I will build it. And nothing in this world, not even the gates of hell itself, can prevent it. So in Jesus, the divine king of the, of the kingship psalms and the human king of the royal psalms come together. And, and 1 Timothy 6.15 describes God as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And in Revelation 19, that same title is given to Jesus. And notice near the beginning of that psalm, from his mouth come a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. That language comes from where? Psalm 2. He's fulfilling that messianic psalm. He is the royal son who was to come. What are we to do with all this? I hope it wasn't a muddled mess to you. For one, it ought to instill in you an unshakable trust in the Bible. Like, the Bible is, is far richer and compelling than, than we can imagine. I, I, I hear supposedly smart people just, they, they, they nitpick at the Bible and they, they just, they think, ah, oh, I, I see a flaw, I see a flaw. No, they don't. No, they don't. It, 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 it's, it's as if uh, you're sailing in the... When they pick at the Bible and pick these little things, it's like, it's like you're sailing in the ocean and you see a, you see a hill and you, 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 you flatten that hill to where there's not an island there anymore. But you think you've gotten rid of something, but what you see is so much underneath that you didn't touch. And it's like C.S. Lewis said in the Bible, he said, I, I believe in Christianity. I believe in what the scriptures say as I believe the sun is shining. Not because I see the sun, but because by it I see everything else. Unshakable trust in the Bible. For another, seeing all of this ought to help us trust the Lord Jesus. That the Psalms are not only about Him, but they are by Him. I, as the divine king, he is both, right? As the divine king, these psalms are about him. But as the human king, he speaks these words, right? These are his words. So in these psalms, in these psalms, we come to realize again that Jesus is our sovereign king, and he is our wisdom, and he is our righteousness. He is our strength. And when we come to these psalms in prayer, when we come to a royal psalm to, in prayer, they are Christ speaking to you. Right? What a precious thought. Let's pray.